plays with Texas players. Welcome to uh, another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and here with me as always is my co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? I'm doing great, Parker. Uh, high school athletes are back. I can finally cover sports again, and I'm thrilled. Uh, high school athletes are back, and that is exciting. Football is in the air. Um, along those lines, and being excited about football being back, we have with us tonight a very special guest. Uh, we have... Cody Alexander, Coach A, uh, as you know him on Twitter, the co-defensive coordinator at Mesquite Horn High School, the author of four books on modern college football and high school football uh, defense, uh, and the writer, publisher, proprietor of matchquarters.com, which is a, a wonderful website about defensive theory in football. And we have him here tonight to talk about uh, defense and, and, and all things defense. So Coach A, thanks for being on the podcast tonight, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to be here. We're um, really, really excited. I mean, I, so you working with high schoolers, how great is it to have the kids back this week? I mean, has that yeah, just been? Man, it, it's been, it's been really good to just get to kind of, I've been pent up in the house and, and, you know, all, you've been watching a lot of film and now I'm actually getting to go out there and, and do what I like to do, which is, which is teach football and coach kids. Coach, for, for people who may not know you, um, tell us about yourself, how you got to um, where you are now at the co-defensive coordinator at Mesquite Horn High School. Um, just tell us about your journey in football and kind of how you ended up where you are now. Yeah, so I ended up, uh, my dad has always been a longtime coach. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, uh, and he still coaches up there at Liberty High School, which is my alma mater. Uh, and so I've always had a love of football. I've always been around and always knew I was going to be a coach. Um, I played at small school uh, college football at Southern Nazarene University in Oklahoma. And yeah. from there, um, I wanted to coach college and I just didn't have the avenue to do it. And I just didn't have the, the access. Um, and I didn't, I knew I didn't want to do it there at SNU. Uh, and so I went, luckily enough, I was able to get my first coaching job at Deer Creek high school, which is literally like right down the, the road up North in Edmond, Oklahoma. And so from there, my wife is from Waxahachie, which is South Dallas, if you know anything about Dallas. So, um, we always knew that we were going to move back down here, which I was okay with because I was like, look, if I can't coach college, I want to coach in Texas. So I was able to come down here, um, spend a year at life school, which is a small little charter school here in Waxahachie. And they're actually really good. Now, uh, when I was there, it was our first varsity season and we were not very good at all. It was, it was like, <laughs> I think the average score was like 56 to six. It was wild, but it was a good experience for me of just kind of being, being, seeing how a program builds. I was lucky enough from there. Um, I just finally just going through that season. I just was like, look, I, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go do it. Um, I called every college in the DFW area. So North Texas, SMU, TCU, and even in Baylor, you know, most people, it's only about an hour away from, from downtown. So, sorry, that's my two-year-old. Totally oh, good. This good. is a family-friendly podcast. That's yeah, great. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye, Bobo. So, sorry. So, from there, I called all the different colleges around DFW, and the only one that answered was Baylor. And the guy said, look, I can't – and it was Colin Schilling Lodge, DFO, and he said, look, I can't, I can't uh, promise you anything, but if you, if you show up, I'll, work, I'll use you. And so, I actually took the GRE – 
so that there was no way, like I was like the whole deal of like, you want to make sure that there's no way they can say no to you. Like I was, I was content on, like I was planning, like I will go and camp out. Like I am going to go, like if I need to pitch a tent and just sleep outside until somebody lets me in, I will. <laughs> and, and, and lucky enough, I got, so I got into Baylor uh, and then I was again, just hit luck again. Phil Bennett, who was the defense coordinator at the time, he is a really good guy. I know that's hard saying this on a TCU podcast, but he is a great human being and very, very generous. Uh, and really, he pulled me aside one day. and was like, what are you, what are you doing here? Like, what do you want to do? And I, and I explained it to him. And then they just started uh, him and Casey Horney, who's a special teams quality control at Texas, just started throwing projects at me. Uh, and the next thing I know, I mean, fast forward to the season, I mean, four weeks into it, we're playing Texas A&M and I'm leading the scout team. And yeah. so the, again, luck has it, NCA adds the, the extra GA spots. And I got the, I got that extra GA spot the, the following year. And then I completed my GA and got my degree after 2013 when we won the big 12 championship from there. And this is where a lot of people don't understand the business. You know, a lot of people just, it, you know, and you play the video game, right? And you're just like, oh, well, I just, you know, I'll go be a GA. And then once you're a GA, you go be a full-time coach. And I, I don't think a lot of people understand the politics within the business and just the, you have, as a young coach, as a GA, someone has to leave. So I was actually done the year before Montgomery left to go to Tulsa. So yeah, I had perfect time coming in, but I had terrible time going out. Yeah. Um, but again, being in this state and being able to make a living, uh, a good living and being able to coach at, at good programs, football's on the front door in most places in the state. You know, it was one of those things where um, I came back to the college level at, at Berkner. And then from there, I went to Lovejoy and then Midlothian. And now that's uh, where I'm at at, at Mesquite Horn. Awesome. And so, so what were the years you were at Baylor? Was that 2011 to 2013? Yeah. So my first taste of college football ever. Now I remember I played small school football. Uh, my dad was a high school football coach. So I, you know, I've never been indoctrinated uh, with the whole big time college football. My first game was the actual Baylor TCU game, which oh, wow. they'll go in the last second. Oh my gosh. Win the game. So that's, okay. that was my first taste of college football. That rules. That's awesome. That's a, a great introduction to a game. Cause that was like, I say that was like TCU's first kind of big 12 style shootout. Um, last Bye. guy wins. Okay. We're going to talk about that in detail. I, I want to get back some details about you and then we'll, we'll get to that TCU Baylor game. Cause oh, I, sure. I want to talk about that. Um, so why did you get into defense? Did you play defense in, in college? Was that just kind of convenience or is it something you were especially passionate about or um, just something you knew and were good at? You know, I always, I always tell people, I think God has a sense of humor. Um, I always loved offense. My dad is an offensive guy. I love offense, but for whatever reason, I was never allowed to play offense. I mean, for even <laughs> in high school, like I just was never allowed to play offense. Um, and then my senior year, I was able to play some receiver in college. I actually played receiver for a whole year, uh, but never got the ball thrown to me because we were running the power eye. Here I am a kid that runs a, a four or five and I'm, you know, this little 175 pound speed guy and all I'm, all I'm asked to do is block so I asked to go back to defense and it's just funny I've just always been on defense um, it's always come easy to me and then uh, from there you know I'm a football nerd so I just figure I'll write what I know and I'll just create my own resources and so I just started writing and creating my own resources and and people like them you know the worst place to put anything is on the internet and so I just throw things on the internet and if it, and people have tended to like them. So I just continue to keep on doing it. And, and now it's become fun. I wanted to be a writer and 
I wanted to be a writer in college, but I never, to me, there was never the avenue to where it really meshed with what I wanted to do. And then finally I found my voice when I, when I turned 30 and I started writing, you know, the blog and it's just kind of it blown up. So it, it's pretty funny. I've always wanted to do offense and I'm never allowed to do offense. That is, that is funny. So when did, when did your site matchquarters.com, a, a great resource. I've learned so much on that. I think I actually learned what the tight front was because of a post on match quarters. Literally my, on my lunch breaks, I was just like going through and scrolling through the website and I was like, Oh, this is the tight front. And that had to be like 2000, you know, 17 or something like yeah. before everyone else knew what it was. Yeah. Um, so uh, when, when did that website actually kind of become its current iteration where you're posting articles and have books and, and, and even play charts and other resources. Right. So 2016 is when I started writing it. When I was at Lovejoy, uh, we had a coaching transition. One of my good friends uh, was the head coach at the time we got fired. And so I, did, I, I knew I was going to be the coordinator the next year, but then I didn't have that opportunity. So I knew that creative outlet was not going to be there for me. And so I needed something to do creatively. And like I had said that I've always wanted to write and so for me, it just became one of those where I was like, this makes too much sense. Like, I'm just going to start writing about football. And that's when I had started to get into kind of following some people on, on Twitter and, and things like that. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start writing. And, and that from there, I was lucky enough to get introduced to Chris Brown, who wrote, writes Smart Football. And he kind of was like, look, man, he goes, you got a really good site. He got, and I was like, but I want to write a book. I want to, I want to write books like you do. And he said, look, just take your articles that you already have and then just turn them into these, into these books. And so that's kind of where I've gotten the, that's, you know, cautious aggression came from that, which is basically like my manifesto on defending our Brile system. And then my story tied into it. So that's where it all started. That's awesome. And it's also kind of, I love the phrase cautious aggression. That's kind of a great metaphor for life in general. I, anything else. Uh, <laughs> Coach Bryles actually liked it. So I was like, I'm done. I'm yeah, that's it. That's all you got. Yeah. I, I like it. Well, and it's funny. It's, it's, it's interesting that you were an offensive guy first because I'm kind of curious, how is coaching defense different than coaching offense? And I, I guess kind of a two-part question does working under a defensive head coach matter versus being under an offensive head coach? And is one of those easier or harder or how does that work for, for you? Yeah, I think defensively it's reactionary and it's more, if you really look at defensive, especially the old school defensive guys, like kind of the, the old guard that is, is in right now, it's very militant. It's very much just like autocratic. Like we're going to, you know, you do this, you do this, you do this. This is how we get here, you know, very much set in stone. It's about the team. It's about, you know, so there's a lot of these things on defense. It's very rigid sometimes on defense because it has to be, you don't get, you can't experiment on defense because, uh, if you do and you get, you know, you're giving up a touchdown. So that's points. Whereas on offense, you can say, Hey, we got this really cool play. We're going to try. It doesn't work. You just have another down. You just go at it again. Um, so I think coaching on defense is a little different growing up in an offensive household and then playing on defense. You know, my dad was kind of the same way as me, except for he, he was the opposite. He always played defense and then he ended up coaching offense. And so you know, my dad's one of my best friends. I talk to him all the time and being able to bounce ideas off of it. I mean, it's always kind of been uh, fun for me. I have a different, I feel like I have a different perspective on the game than a lot of people do just because I come from it at a different angle. I come from it more of it, an offensive. I'm trying to see where this, where they're attacking the space and then how the defense is reacting to constrict that space. And so I think that's kind of where I'm different and don't look and look at the structures a little bit differently. 
Um, that, that, that's really interesting you say that kind of the, the different perspective, because that is my next question is, you know, an average fan who's watching, D, uh, watching a college football game, for instance, or even high school football game, it's a lot easier to say like, okay, the offense lined up like this. They saw the numbers on one side or they saw the space on the other side. They motioned or they audibled and then they tried something different. So like that seems very logical and kind of easy to follow. What might fans not kind of undersee, uh, or excuse me, see or understand about how coaches approach defense um, kind of on that like play level of, you know, cause you're, you are reacting totally. So, so yeah. What, what, do, what do fans not see about how you approach a play? Well, I think that there's a geometry to football and there's a reason why there are certain <laughs> things that you just keep seeing over and over again. You know, uh, for instance, like the triangle and the square, I think are come up a lot like a triangle, you know, you've got two receivers. We're going to build a triangle over that. We're going to have three over two. Um, if we got three receivers now, we're going to try and build a box around that. Now we've got four over three and those plus numbers that you may not try and see as a, as a fan, you may not necessarily see that you're just kind of following the ball. But if you really take a look at it, you start seeing the numbers you know, why are they in two high here? Why are they in single high here? Why are they closing, you know, that middle of the field? Why is it closed or why is it open? How they adjust the, the linebackers depending on the formations and things like that. I think those are things that if you're just watching, you're just seeing a bunch of, you know, it's kind of like uh, the, you're watching dots and they're just kind of moving around. But if you really kind of break it down and look at the geometry of it and you start seeing as a coach, we're trying to find the, that geometry. We're trying to find how can we get that extra guy over here to defend these two guys or this one guy? How can we get that guy? And then obviously from there, you've got how do you steal gaps and how do I, how do I fill up all the, all the gaps? And, you know, I think too, like people probably don't realize like how a tight end fundamentally changes the front and you add a gap and then how do polars add gaps and then you know if you watch Oklahoma they run counter as their number one play I mean now you're creating two gaps on the other side of the formation so that to me that's kind of that numbers game and that geometry of football is kind of the how coaches are are looking at it kind of differently than how the fan looks at it and that's so Kind of, kind of tongue again two questions on that is it a is it a sort of a reaction game from coaches to where it's like we're, we're guessing what the offense is going to do but we don't know so I guess my questions are you I guess a lot of it is trust in players right and then what makes some player better suited for defense than offense I think a lot of it has to do with mentality, defensive mentality. Uh, you got to, I mean, at the bottom line, the end play, the end result of every play is a tackle or it's, even if it's out of bounds, it, it you know, is a tackle or it's a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Like that, it, that, that's kind of the end result of every play. And so that physicality part on defense, it, it has to be there mm-hmm. because everybody on that 11 is going to have to be asked to tackle at some point. I mean, even if you are the boundary corner and you're manned up or you're the field corner and you're just kind of zoning off all the time and nothing's really coming to you, at some point, though, you're going to have to actually wrap up and make a play. And I think there's a different mentality on defense than there is on offense. And I think when you can find an offensive guy that has a defensive mentality that is not afraid of contact and things like that, that's kind of when you get to see those guys that are just super explosive because they're not afraid Mm -hmm. or they're not trying to shy away. 
uh, from, from being, from that contact. And that's kind of where you get that, you know, those guy in the scanner reports, like, Oh, he's got a kind of a defensive mentality, you know, or he's a, you know, he's, he's kind of, you know, he's not afraid of contact, things like that. Awesome. Um, so I think, I think that right there actually kind of takes us right up to the cliff of talking about like modern defenses and, and some terminology and some fun stuff like that. Uh, so I'm going to take that opportunity to kind of stop us there and let's talk about 2011 TCU Baylor gotcha. just because I don't want to lose that. Um, <laughs> this game was wild. So I, I'll, I'll monologue real quick and just, just recount some facts. And then I want to hear, uh, I was there as well. And I was actually, you know, in TCU colors sitting on the Baylor side. So like you and I were probably like 50 feet apart uh, for this game, <laughs> which is pretty, that's pretty crazy. You know what? Nine years ago, 2011 uh, Baylor versus TCU was just this crazy game. It was Robert Griffin, the third versus uh, Casey Paha in his, in his first start. Um, it was on the road for TCU. It was in Baylor's old stadium. Um, and it ended up 50 to 48. And like I said before, it's kind of like TCU's first Big 12 style shootout because TCU uh, was in the Mountain West with Andy Dalton and basically just murdered everyone. Um, and so there weren't, there weren't a lot of these games that were like, oh, you know, there was games where, oh, TCU's screwing around and they started slow and then they have to come back and then they, then they murder them. Um, but this is really one of the first like, oh, last score wins. This is crazy uh, games. Uh, TCU scores 25 points in the fourth quarter and they have the ball at first down and 10 at the Baylor 40-yard line, and Casey Bohal throws a pick uh, on, on fourth down, I believe. Um, and so, so just some quick stats. Uh, Paul Hall was 25 of 39, 251 yards and four TDs. Robert Griffin was 21 of 27, 259 yards, five touchdowns. Um, and Kendall Wright had two passes, and one of those was a touchdown pass. Um, and basically the big difference between the two quarterbacks there was uh, Griffin was a little more accurate on, on fewer passes, and Paul Hall threw that pick at the end. TCU outgained Baylor at rushing, which is my um, constant plug that uh, rushing yards are not very important and we should focus on the pass game. Um, and so, uh, Coach, you were, you were on the sidelines during that game. Just tell me about your experience. You, you, whatever you want to talk about here, I'm just interested to hear about being a part of that game. You know, scouting, um, halftime adjustments, kind of everything that was going on. Yeah, so it, you, that was actually Phil Bennett's first game. I mean, that was the first time that that whole defensive staff had been together. You know, I think prior to that, there you had you had Norwood was there, and then the D-line coach had, uh, had already been there as well. And so it was – now you've got all these new guys were coming in together. Um, and I'll never forget, you know, Bennett looks at me and he kind of smiles. You can see I was a little bit, I was a little bit amped up because I mean, this is, I mean, I, you can hear the crowd and everything. I mean, it was packed. It was packed. And I think everybody was excited because it was RG3's junior year. This was going to be his coming out year. And it obviously it ended up being that magical season for him. Uh, but for us defensively, I mean, we were just trying to hang on. I mean, we knew that we were we were probably as good as the offense was. We were probably that bad uh, personnel wise. Now, ironically, though, from that, uh, I think uh, we had a corner playing the league for a, a, a while. Uh, I think we had an All Big Twelve linebacker in Elliot Coffee, uh, but we didn't have defensively. We just didn't have the dudes that that we needed to on the, that. Obviously, the offensive had. So I'll never forget Bennett looking at me and he goes, Hey man, you know, you've done, you've done a pretty good job. And so I was like, I'm all amped up, you know? And then he goes, okay, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever you need. Like, I'm just like, I'm ready to run through a wall. And he's like, look, you're going to be my get back coach. <laughs> and I'll never forget at the time I didn't realize it, but Jim Gush, who's a great friend of uh, Phil Bennett's and has kind of been with Phil, uh, coach Bennett in a, a bunch of different spots and is a mentor of mine. 
uh, he kind of just chuckled. And at the time, I didn't think anything of it because I'm like, you know, whatever. He just, you know, so we go out on the field. And I'll never forget because Kaz Kazadi, who's at SMU right now, he's as a strength coach, was our strength coach at the same time. And uh, so me and uh, uh, Coach Kazadi are standing right next to Coach Bennett. It's probably the first series of the game. And, you know, I'm like, look, man, he told me to get him off the sideline. So I pull – I pull his arm and he whips around and he was like, if you ever touch me again, <laughs> I will slap you in, in on national television. <laughs> I was just, and my eyes just got huge. And <laughs> the best part was I look over to my right and there's coach Kazadi and he, his eyes are big. And I just looked at him. I said, I said, you got it. He's yours. And so he just kind of shook his head. And he's like, all right. And I was like, look, man, I'm going to hold these personnel cards up. I'm not going to say another word. Uh, <laughs> that's but that's, awesome. I mean, you talk about getting like a, just initiated into the whole college football deal. I mean, that game was an amazing game. It was so back and forth. I'd never seen anything like it. Uh, and just watching RG3 and that, that you know, people forget too, like, uh, you know, Kendall Wright was a first-round draft pick off of that. Terrence Williams played in the NFL for a long time. I think uh, Tevin Reese was even drafted off of that receiving core. So, there, I mean, that was a good receiving core. Uh, and so, kicking that field goal at the end, I'll never forget, you know, Coach Bryles never even looked at the field goal. There's a – the kind of the faint – now it's infamous last kind of shot when we kick the field goal. You know, you can actually see me. I'm standing there. I'm standing in front. It's Coach Pryle standing in the middle, and then uh, Phil Bennett and like the rest of the team standing in behind. And like me and me and Coach Bennett are looking at the field goal, and then here's Coach Pryle just looking across the field at at Coach Patterson. Doesn't even flinch when it goes through. You know, I'm over there like, yeah, you know, and I'm running off because I got to go get ready for, for kickoff. And I mean, he didn't even play. So, I mean, all of that, I mean, just some of those are some of the, the fondest memories I have of that, especially with that game, you know, being that first game that I was able to, to be a part of. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and not to, to bring the mood down at all, but you mentioned kind of the baptism by fire. It, so it's your first game, y'all win incredible fashion, but you're a defensive guy and you give up 48 points. So it is, is the victory and, – and on down the line as well, I'm sure there have been games you've been a part of where your team's won, but the defense didn't play as well as you wanted to. Does that taint victory at all for a defensive coach? Or yeah, is it just winning is everything? It does. And I think 2011 was one of those – so we're past 2010. We're past kind of that spread 101. You know, people have kind of – you know, Vince Young basically in the, the zone read wins the national title. It was at like 05. You know, we're, we're five years past that. Now we're six years. You know, we're moving more towards being spread. And I think that game in particular was just kind of the – you started looking at defense differently that year after 2010. And you, we just started, you know, with Coach Bennett and what we were doing. You know, there are some things that we were doing and at the beginning of that season that we just – we never even did ever again. Like, it was just kind of that whole deal of like, okay, you know, personnel wise where we were deficient you know and then obviously going up against coach Bryles I mean I'll never forget a practice I feel like they scored a thousand touchdowns every day <laughs> I mean I feel like seriously every throw was a touchdown it was over our heads you know and, and learning how and I don't know if you've ever if you've ever been or if you've ever heard anybody talk about a Baylor practice I mean coach Bryles did not care like he was going to try and score every single time he didn't care if it was good on good he didn't care if it was situational they were trying to score every single time uh, and they were not going to wait for you to run the next play. It was just completely unfair. Actually, in fact, we had the linebacker coach from Oregon who was working for Chip Kelly at the time come and visit us. 
Uh, and he was like, this is nothing, this doesn't even compare to what we do. So he was like, <laughs> this is insane. So, I mean, just kind of that was the completely changed the way that I see defense and the way that I view things and how you defend certain things. It just changed everything. You know, nowadays you hear different stats of like points per points per drive, you know, what's the efficiency of the defense? Like how are they efficient on down to down? You know, what's the third down efficiency, you know, are they winning first and how does that correlate? Like there's uh, so many things, even with the points, it's like how many plays are they they're defending compared to the points that they're giving up? There's so many different, stats that like you said with the rushing stats now and even just really just even yards a game now it just doesn't even matter you know it's really comes down to how many stops did you get compared to how many stops they got you know that's how you compare defenses and and I really think week to week it's just in especially in college football and now in the NFL it's just so different week to week Definitely. Um, I, I, man, you could not be writing my segues uh, better for me if you were, if you were trying. Um, Cause that's that, you know, we want to move into defense and just kind of talk about modern defense. That's really um, why we're here. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think one, in terms of uh, looking and learning about defenses, I just want to plug, you have that, like how to, how to break down your opponent or how to scout your opponent article. And that's been like immensely useful for me um, just because looking at like, again, I'm, I'm very offensive minded in the very little X's and O's I know. And so I'm definitely thinking about like, okay, what's the offense doing and thinking about the offense from a defensive perspective is just so interesting to me. Um, but let's, let's get into kind of the nitty gritty about defense. So um, college football today, and even the NFL today, what is kind of the, the most popular defense and how is that different from what it was, you know, 10 years ago? What are, what are people doing now that they weren't doing uh, you know, back when Vince Young was playing, back when Sam Bradford was uh, running over people at Oklahoma. Yeah. What is what is different now than a couple of years ago? Well, I think you have, especially in in college, you have you have the haves and the have nots. So if you have, you're probably going to play some sort of a four down, um, and just because at linemen are at such a premium. Um, well, and, and so, so by, by halves, you mean you can recruit the talent yeah, to have yeah, four yeah. down. That's what yes. I meant. That's yeah. what I meant. I mean, you look at traditionally who are the traditional four down base teams, you know, not talking about TCU, but just, you know, Clemson has traditionally been a, a four down team. They've also traditionally put a ton of D linemen into the NFL. You go look at, uh, you know, Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, they're running the mint front, but the dirty little secret about the mint front is that it's really a four down front. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that, that there's a difference between the tight front and the mint front. The tight front is – Yeah, clarify, I was going to say clarify that for us. That's yeah, cool. yeah, so the tight front is actually the three-down variation from that. Now, if you add a tight into the box, they're going to bring that outside linebacker down, and it looks kind of like a four-down front. Um, in the mint front, the mint front is like – that's a saving system thing. So that's like Kirby Smart. That's the, the guy – you know, Tennessee – Alabama, basically half of the SEC. So when they say mint, that is actually their nickel package. They've got a three-four defense on there, but it's really a it's an underfront is what they're running. An underfront just means that they're setting the three technique away from or the strength away from the offensive strength. Mm -hmm. And so it it kind of ends up fitting a lot like that. Um, and so what you end up seeing too, I think, is you have the Nate Woody system of uh, Appalachian State, Georgia Tech was part of this, and, and kind of that whole – there's a whole genre of 3-4 where you're a ton of line movement, 
single gap line movement, but you're getting that line movement, uh, playing quarters. Then you have the Aranda version of the tight. And that is those, the Aranda and the Ron Roberts. So I'm actually really excited about Baylor having Aranda because you're going to get to see him who is the tight front guru that basically him and, and him and Ron Roberts are kind of the, the two, you know, pillars of that tight front defense. And now they've got to put this thing into the big 12 and what, how is that going to fundamentally change his way? Cause even with like coach Patterson, you know, what they were in 2011 was not where they are today. Like it, it's even changed. And I think front structure wise are kind of the same. Um, but in terms of secondary and what they're kind of doing, there's, there's some different nuances that they kind of could do in the mountain West and they could get away from. So I really think in terms of just to go back to your question, like Ohio state, and guys like that, they, you know, they want to run the NFL defense, which is four down, cover one, mm-hmm. if they can. Uh, then you have guys like Clemson uh, that are, are kind of a little bit more multiple, but they still want to stay in that 4-2-5 shell. They want to run the quarters. They want to run their, their kind of their rip lives or their, their cover three match scheme. And then you have your saving system guys, which they, that is just a – I mean, that is Pandora's box if you ever <laughs> want to open that thing up. Um, but it just has – a ton of different variations but again if you look at it they're trying to get into four down fronts and they're trying to do different things like that now go to different conferences like the american or the big 12 even the pac 12 now you're starting to see more hybrid defenses so you're starting to see more of the the three down linemen Um, and i think in the nfl because the edge rush is such a premium now you're getting into that that hybrid there really is no four down or three down it really depends on formation and personnel that you have Mm -hmm. in the game and, and we saw that a little bit, you know, Matt Campbell at, at Iowa State has, has done a great job of, again, not having the recruiting, ta- not knocking Matt Campbell, but just saying, like, I don't have four starting defensive linemen, so I've got to figure out how to mitigate that. TCU this year had, uh, uh, you know, a big hole at defensive end, and so they actually kind of went to a de facto third down, kind of the Swiss Army knife, where, you know, one of the defensive ends was a little bit more like a linebacker, and he actually kind of dropped in coverage. And, and so you're seeing some of that, like, utilization. I think that distinction between have and have-nots is insightful um, just because so much of this is if you have good players, you can just run 4-3, cover one, and, like, win, like Ohio State. You can yeah. run the basic defense and beat people. And the innovation, I think, really happens uh, kind of in that – in the margins of, you know, we don't have the talent. We've got to figure out Gary Patterson taking – Jerry Hughes, who is a running back and making him uh, an NFL defensive end, stuff like that, um, where it's like we, we innovate out of necessity. Yeah, and I think TCU's always done a good job because they play those wide fives of just having kind of the – because he wants to set the box that way, and they do a lot of movement up front to kind of cancel gaps because he's going to play his 4-1 box as much as he possibly can against the spread. And having those guys, I think TCU's a little bit different. Um, the Part of that, though, is kind of that two – that I guess you'd call it like a two, four, five. You know, you got two interior linemen, and really you have kind of like these four backer guys, and you have a field end and a boundary end, and they're stand-up guys. And you start seeing, like, if you were to watch uh, Jim Leonard at Wisconsin, they do a ton of that stuff. Yeah. I think uh, Texas has their own kind of – I think they called it the, a peso package. And, um, you know, Aranda obviously has that as well. And I think that's kind of the – um, the, the saving guys call that dime rabbits and they have the, it's a four down with their speed rush guys. And, and, uh, I think, you know, the ones that kind of one of the most underrated defenses that does this is Washington where they have the two stand up DNs or kind of these hybrid guys 
uh, but they have the two big, they usually have two huge Samoan kids in the middle and they're just plugging everything and, and making everything go wide, funneling everything to, to the middle and back to those linebackers. So I think that that's kind of the trend in college in the NFL though. I really think it had, it's, it's such a matchup league, even to this day, you know, if you go, I, I'm, I was watching, I was doing some research on uh, some different things I'm working on and, and I'm looking at the chiefs playing the bears and, and, when the Chiefs even brought in twelve personnel, those the Bears are bringing their three their three man package, their three down package, and now they're running a bear front. And you're like, well, Kelsey's technically a receiver. How does that you know? How does that work? And I think that to me, the NFL is such a matchup league that you can kind of get into trouble. I did a video a couple of weeks ago on San Francisco and Minnesota and how. San Francisco manipulated the personnel and by being able to be in 21 personnel, but then go to empty and your fullback can run a slot fade and beat the defender. You know, that that's a completely different ball game. So that's something in the NFL that, that is just now starting to see that you don't necessarily necessarily see um, at the college level. Well, I, I have kind of a meta question that's kind of based on, on some of the stuff you've said and, talking about like what saving calls things versus what, you know, other teams may call things for me. I, I I'm trying to research more on football terminology, but most of what I know is like what Madden calls a, right. you know, a smash matter or whatever, but offensive offensive terminology seems pretty standard throughout college football. Mm -hmm. Defense doesn't. No. And is there a reason for that? Or yeah, I just think that the defensive guys are just built different than they hold things to, you know, it's not a very, you know, guys meet and stuff and they talk, but it's such a very much of a, you know, you're kind of in this camp, you know, mm -hmm. and I think, I think offensively everything now modern wise stems from the West coast offense and the, and in the NFL, the Coriel system. And, and so what you have now is the air raid with the West coast and everything. And so these, these kind of concepts have been, um, you're either using numbers or you're using concept names in the offense. And most people kind of can figure out the language part of it. Uh, whereas on defense, there's so many different camps and there's so many different viewpoints on how you're doing it. Cause remember it's so reactionary. And I think too, it's regional, I, you know, offenses too are regional. So I think defenses, you know, some guys are seeing different things, you know, you play in, in different conferences, you're just going to see different things. I mean, the Big Ten, it, I watch the Big Ten, and it's just why off, and the tight ends don't really go out for passes, and it's just kind of everybody's kind of running that kind of why off NCAA offense. And then, you know, you go to the Big 12, and it's just a free-for-all. You know, you could be having a why off team, and the next thing you know, you've got, you know, they're, you know Oklahoma's running the air raid one down. Next thing you know, they've got 12 personnel on the field. And so, mm -hmm. you know, and I think the – I think – to me too, like you go to the Pac-12 and again, it, they can't decide do they want to be pro style or do they want to be kind of that college spread. And so you have that inner, uh, inner mixing of things. And so they have to deal with different things too. That's why people kind of always, coaches always downplay the bowl, the bowls, unless it's the playoffs, but they kind of always downplay the bowls because it's a one shot and you just don't, you know, you just don't know, you know, I mean, right. our, like matchups, it may be a great matchup for them. Whereas on the, the next year they may get something and they're like, Oh man, that's just, that's not a good matchup for us. We just weren't, we were in, we were in trouble. Had we played somebody else or had we played this team, we would have been fine. Does, does that variety of uh, offensive style make it harder for defenses? Do you think that's related to why like PAC 12s traditionally, you know, Oregon last year aside, don't have 
I guess Oregon and Washington don't have like good defenses. Is that related to the fact that there's so many different teams that they see like week to week that are playing different offensive styles? Yeah. And I think, I think you go and you look at, I'm interested to see what's going to happen in the SEC because now you have this kind of, it's, they the air raid injection man i mean the spread has won it's won it's gotten to the sec and it's gotten to the sec west which is you know the old blue bloods of the sec so it's like you know i think i think what you see around the country is and two each week you're getting some different variation of the spread and what that looks like is different, how they use their tight ends are different, how they use the running back is different, how they go about different things. And so, yeah, on, on defensive, it's like, how do I, you know, offenses, you, you are what you are. And this is our base and this is where we live in. And you can make different tweaks to it week to week to, to affect the defense. But defensively, how do you have a base that can now cover everything? And so maybe you're a hybrid defense and you play – you play with a nickel all the time. Well, okay, now we're playing a team like Oklahoma that decides they want to go 12 personnel or 21 personnel. And how do I, how do I help that nickel out? You know, that was our biggest thing coming out and, and just and figuring that out at, at Baylor was, okay, well, we have to defend the Art Bryles system every day at practice. But then, you know, if you remember, Hypo was going through that weird phase where he was running like uh, unbalanced 21 personnel every down. And uh, you're like, you know, and now and uh, Texas at the time couldn't decide if they wanted to do Spurman or they hired uh, what was it, Bright? Uh, they hired uh, Harson mm-hmm. uh, yeah. from from uh, Boise State, and they were doing all that trading and, and power and all that stuff. And so here we are, week to week, we got to play Tech one week, which is just pure air raid, and then the next week we've got to do we've got to do something else. All right. So you've talked a lot about coaches that can adapt right or co- that coaches have to adapt right. um obviously we, we we know the names of all the great defensive coaches and coordinators you know uh, dave aranda brent venables gary patterson are there any coaches that you think specifically are very good at adapting to opponents and what makes them so successful yeah i think if you go and you look at the guys that have been at the top for the longest you know venables is probably the most i mean he came out and played uh Texas A&M with didn't even blink an eye and he came out in a three safety safety look against them because they're running so much spread with Munn. Um, I think he does a great job of just being so multiple. I mean, I think even with uh, coach Patterson of going, you know, from the four down transition to a three down playing a little bit more cover one, getting away from the quarters look sometimes, uh, you know, get, doing some different things, you know, the guys that last are the guys that can adapt and they can change. You know, I think even like uh, if you've ever talked to a Rand or have heard Rand speak, you know, who he was at Wisconsin, not who he was at, at LSU. I mean, think about it. if you if you had never had you had never seen anything other than a Wisconsin game while he was there, and then you were to be placed in uh, Baton Rouge to watch an LSU game, you're like, whoa, 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 what are we doing? This is four down cover one. It's like, right. this isn't Dave Aranda. And I think so for me, I think that guys like that, you know, I'm, that's why I'm interested to see what he's going to do with, you know, with at at Baylor and having, you know, basically this huge turnover on defense, how are they going to be able to teach those guys and what are they going to do to defend these, these powerful offenses? So I think there's some guys, you know, that obviously, you know, Don Brown got kind of nailed a couple, what was it last year against Ohio state? And you just, you know, 
it just was a matchup nightmare for them trying to play coverage and things like that. But, you know, guys like that, even then him, he, you know, he's trying to do different things and, you know, you have your three down packages and, and things like that. And I think what the, the thing now is, is that you have to be multiple. You can't just be like, look, we're a four, two, five team or, Hey, we're a three, four team. You know, I think now it's like, Hey, you know, I think Kirby Smart a couple years ago said at coaching school here in Texas, he's like, you got, you're either an odd or uh, an even team. And I think you kind of have to base that way. But I think nowadays it's kind of that matchup. Are we better off going four down this week? Are we better off going three down this week? And then um, how can we, how can we uh, be multiple in that? And that kind of leads into there have been amazing offenses in the last couple of years, the likes of which we haven't seen, not just from changing schematics, but just, you know, Lincoln Riley, I'm executing better than you. Um, or last year, Joe Burrow coming, you know, Joe Brady's passing offense coming on the scene and Joe Burrow doing that. Um, and so I think multiplicity is part of the answer to this question, but like, why are these dynamics or why are these dynamic offenses so successful? What are they showing defenses, especially in college football, specifically in college football, that they haven't seen in the past? What, you know, what makes a, a Joe Brady offense so hard to defend? What makes a Lincoln Riley offense so hard to defend? Yeah, and I think if you really break it down, like the, the 2018 Oklahoma offense and then the 2019 LSU offense are the two most efficient offenses to ever play. Um, so I, I follow, uh, I don't know if you guys do BCF toys does, uh, yeah. Offensive and efficiency stuff. Brian and, is a, Brian is a hashtag friend of the pod. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's awesome. Sure. And yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I love his website. That's basically where I live on it when I, when I choose to do some studies and things like that. But I really like, you know, if you go and you look at it outside of, I think 2011 Wisconsin, which is the complete anomaly cause they are run based, but outside of that, the, the next, the next efficient two teams, there's nobody else. I think they're like at mm-hmm. 1.96 efficiency. And then you get this huge jump to like, a, you know, the perfect score, which is, I think it's like 2.2. So, you know, to me, the, what they do and they do it differently, you know, they're not the same offense. And I think that's, what's so crazy about it is that what Lincoln Riley has done at Oklahoma is that he has basically built a hybrid 12 personnel kind of offense and and really it's it, you could probably argue that it's 21 personnel but it, he's he's built this thing almost like what uh Kyle Shanahan has built at San Francisco but not as pro style more you know with obviously the obvious air raid flair I mean obviously with Shanahan and his his father's background he's going to have a little bit more uh run game and things like that um, but I think what Lincoln Riley has done is he's basically taken the leech offense and he's put a, the modern twist to it and added tight ends, added a fullback to it and said, now look what we can do with a power run game. And I think what you saw at LSU was what we're going to start seeing in the NFL, you know, the running back part of the passing game, the tight end is, is kind of a de facto receiver as well. Um, you know, and kind of now we're going to get our guys into the open. And, and I think, too, another one to highlight would be like the Ravens, mm-hmm. um, where you've got Hollywood Brown, who can, is a matchup nightmare. We're just going to run him across the field, and we're going to play action. We're going to get in these big sets. We're going to force you to decide, are we going to go big or are we going to go small? And that constant tugging of personnel of what are we going to be this week? Are we going to get big? Are we going to get small? 
because if we go big, they're going to spread us out and they're going to kill us in the passing game. If we go small, now we're going now, – now they're just going to run right through us. And I think that, to me, is where those two offenses were so good. I mean, even with Auburn, I mean, Auburn was the one team – you know, it's a little bit unfair because they – LSU did have – I think they had a missed field goal on, what, two fourth down uh, missed conversions. And so, so technically yeah. you have, like, three turnovers. And I think mm-hmm. he threw an intercept. So you have, like, four turnovers. No, it's kind of like the OU Army game. Everybody was, like, so fascinated. Oh, my God, Army stopped them. And they really didn't. Right. They, they just held the ball. They held the ball. Um, or if I'm, if I'm being honest, like, TCU-Oklahoma this last year, 2019. Yeah. yeah like, 28-24. Yeah, you were like, yeah. this wasn't four points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you, if, you, if you're a football person and you look at it and you're like, yeah, you're reading the box score. It wasn't really a, a deal. You know, but even, like, with, with Auburn, what they basically did, Auburn said, you're not going to pass on us. And they they came out in the second half, and LSU said, "Fine, we're just going to maul you. We're going to run duo until the the cows come home, and and we're just going to run that running back right down the middle of uh, of the field." And they did. And and if you go and you look at it, it's amazing. If uh, and I wrote, uh, I have an article on my um, uh, site on it, and I I actually broke it down, and so you can actually see like they didn't run the ball very much in the first half. And then that second half, it's just, I, I usually label runs blue and it's just blue <laughs> all over. And I think that to me is kind of, we've gotten to the point where the offenses understand, you know, the established, the run guys, it's kind of like, no, we're going to take what the defense gives us. And, and, you know, what's funny about that and I'll never forget. And this kind of goes back to kind of the genius of our Bryles of, when I was there, I'll never forget the year when we beat um, UCLA in the Holiday Bowl. And a buddy of mine who he still works uh, with uh, uh, Kendall at Arkansas. Uh, and he was kind of their stat guy and he would go through it and he goes, Look at this, man. We're 50 50 on the dot for the year. And I go, Do you keep track of that? Because a lot of guys will keep track of like well, how much they run a pass. And he said, No. He goes, we take what the defense gives us. And he says, it's crazy, Cody, but if you do that, you end up with 50-50 or 55-45 almost every time. Interesting. Uh, is that oh, – oh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, um, but, that, but to me, I was just like – my mind was blown. And what I'm seeing yeah. now is that kind of – that has now, – now people are starting to realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely like that's part of the revolution is like, hey, I'm not committing to an ideology. I'm committing to – scoring like I want to do what what is efficient um okay along, along those lines I think we're going to transition uh, ask about stats ask about fans watching and then we'll and then we'll do some twitter questions and get out of here um and let you uh, get on with your evening but um so kind of kind of along with those stats one question I've always had is do, do you have you know you have these immaculate game charting templates um on your on your website and you post them on twitter sometimes do you have a semblance of like garbage time is there like a condition of plays where you say, eh, this doesn't matter. I'm not going to look at this. Yeah. If it's over 28 points, I don't even break it down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That makes makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I think that once you do that, you know, I've seen, I've seen guys just get in a 12 personnel run zone. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, until, and then, so what, if you're keeping track of that and you're putting, adding that to your data, you know, they play a couple, they play a couple patsies before they play you. And the number one thing that you got to defend is 12 personnel zone. But then if you were to take the trash time away from it, that, that's like they may run that five times in the four games that you see. So, I'm yeah, 28 points or above 
or if you put in your backup quarterback, I'm done. I'm not bringing it down. I'll go through it to see if you do anything funky, you know, because sometimes – and that's the other thing, man. Those offensive guys, they'll throw in some crazy stuff in there just to see if you'll keep track of it and make you work it. But, no, I, 28 points is usually where my cutoff is. Um, so when you're, you know, when you're watching film, when you're scouting, you know, whether that be a high school offense that you're facing and preparing for, or a, a college offense that you're breaking down, what are, you know, uh, two, two or three stats that you're really focused on in general, you know, you're doing the, the film breakdown. Um, but then if you go and look at the numbers, what do you care about generally? You know, it's hard getting stats for the high school game. Um, but mostly what I'm looking at is targets, not necessarily what the yards are, but just kind of, um, you know, where are the explosive plays coming from? What formations are coming from? You know, because I think it's different at the high school level because you just don't have the time to sit down there and start breaking down the data. And, I mean, it would be nice to run all these crazy analytic reports and things like that. But, you know, you got to teach and you got to coach and you got all this other stuff. And then so you got to communicate that to high schoolers. And yeah, yes. oof, yeah. <laughs> so what I try and do at the high school level is just kind of look at the targets, look at the formations. What are they really trying to do out of that formation? What do we need to defend? out of that formation and then kind of take that away. What are the explosives? If it's third down, who are they trying to get the ball to? I think at the college level, especially offensively, I'm looking at efficiency stats. I want to know where you are efficiency wise. Um, I think one of the best ones is kind of doing that. You know, I think a football, football outsiders does a DVOA, you know, you've got Brian Farrow who does the, the kind of his efficiency stat of just kind of into like just how efficient they are as they, how much yards are they getting per down? Um, so I look at that. And then what I go from there is I want to look at how many uh, kind of these havoc stats, you know, what are their tackles for loss? What are their sacks? What are their turnover stats? You know, are they creating turnovers? It's one thing to be efficient, but if you're not able to get those stops and you're not able to get those turnovers, you know, you can't really get that. And I think too, like the, the big boon on Iowa state and this whole focus on the, this, you know, this kind of this three safety look, if you really look at it, you know, every year they've actually lost production in those havoc stats. They, they don't create turnovers. They don't create sacks. Um, they're not getting those kind of those, you know, tackles for loss and things like that. Whereas, you know, then you watch Baylor last year and it was like every, every other down, they were getting a tackle for loss. And they, and in fact, I did, I tracked it. Their numbers were actually what the numbers were under Phil Bennett. That's the first time they had been like that since, uh, 2016 or really 2015. I don't really count 2016 cause that was just a crazy year. But if you go back to like the 2015 season, that's that they hadn't had that in almost five years, yeah. you know? And so, so to me, I think I, when I'm looking at a defense, that's what I'm looking at. You know, a couple of years ago, like we were talking about with our army and Oklahoma, I was like, okay, I, what is all this, you know, hoopla about? Like, I actually want to go and look at it and really efficiency wise, they were kind of, I mean, they were upper third, but they weren't, they weren't fantastic, you know? And it was just kind of, okay. It was the offense that held the ball. And that's kind of what you get that they got a couple sacks, they made a couple turnovers and, and, or, you know, they got that, you know, the one famous, you know, the delay rush that everybody, that everybody shows, you know, and so it's kind of like, okay, so that's kind of what I look at in terms of when I'm trying to choose a team that I want to, I want to look at. Here's a, here's my question. This is more personnel based. Um, you, you mentioned the importance of a great pass rushing end, right? And that, that how that's really kind of shaped how defenses plan around their own players. What makes a good pass, uh, pass rushing defensive lineman as opposed to a good 
run stopper. I know the kind of the, the sole run stopping defensive lineman probably is, is becoming a thing of the past, but why are there two guys that might be mutually exclusive? One's good against the pass and one's good against the run. What's, what's different there? So this started actually with, with uh, Warren Sapp as a three technique that could, was actually fast enough to um, go up against a guard. Um, pri- primarily your center is kind of your smartest guy. Um, and he's kind of the, kind of the try hard brainiac, you know, like, Hey, we, he's the one that's setting the, the, the pass protections. And then from there, your guards are kind of these, these load graders. They're just, now they have to be athletic enough to pull, but man, they're just mashing people. That's what they do. And then the tackles, obviously, I mean, the tackles are some of the most athletic human beings on the planet. And I think people forget that at the NFL level. And then Joe Thomas is on uh, the Titan games and people are like, that's a tack, Like that's an offensive tackle. I thought this was going to be like a big fat guy coming out here, you know, and it's not, that guy is like shredded and he's 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, I think what you, now what you do is how, okay, the offense has now put some of the most athletic people at tackle. So how do we fight that? And then you fight that obviously speed with speed. Okay, I'm going to be more athletic than you there. Uh, and so if you go back and you look at what the four aces at, at uh, New York, when they had those four guys and when they won the Super Bowl, I mean, nobody could pass on them. They, they, you could get one-on-ones because they were running those wide fives and the threes and everybody was single gap, you know, everybody was singled up. And so I think at the, what now you're seeing is these five man fronts on third down, trying to, to man everybody up, manipulate the running back. And then who is our top guy? And then we're going to get the one-on-one with him and we're going to make sure he's either on the guard or the tackle that we think is the least likely to be able to block him. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. I just always heard like, oh, he's like a pass rushing specialist. And it's like, yeah, oh, and defend the run then. I don't edges. Yeah. So the edge position is a new thing probably within the last five years that it's been more or less, um, I mean, you could say co- coaches say edge. I, you know, to me, I think it's more of a kind of a draft Nick kind mm-hmm. of, you know, guys yeah. like that, that, you know, more of a pundit usage of the word kind of where can we put this guy in it? You know, to me, I think, you know, we've always had edges. I mean, LT was kind of the first one. And then from there, now everybody wants one and everybody has one. Um, and then if you're really good and you can get two of them like the Broncos had with Vaughn Miller and Chubb and they were just killing everybody. They were yeah. like the, the giants with the, with the four dudes they had, you know, then now you're starting to talk about really being able to get after it because I do think this is such a passing game now and the passing is such a timing thing now, especially with these air raid and West coast offenses that if you can disrupt that or move the pocket, now you can start dropping that efficiency and so now you're kind of forcing them to either run the ball or to go to something different in the passing game. Gotcha. Yeah, no, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, okay, so kind of our big picture ending question, we've got one or two Twitter questions we'll get to too, but kind of, uh, you know, a casual fan who doesn't know a lot about the X's and O's of football, um, what can they do when they're watching on Saturday, you know, maybe remote in hand, uh, kind of to understand what their team is trying to do? So I'm watching TCU on Saturday. I want to see what TCU is trying to do against Oklahoma and respond to that offense. What are some keys to look for kind of pre-snap and then after the snap that might inform how I could uh, see what the defense is doing? Yeah, so starting with the front, and we'll start with the front and then we'll work back. Um, You know, the the first thing that you want to look at is where is – are they in a four down or are they in three down? 
you know, if they're in a three down, are they, are they moved one direction or the other? And what that means is do they have a guy outside the tackle or are they both the ends inside the tackle? If you're looking at a four down, where's the three technique? Now the three technique is the one that lines up over the guard. And then everybody kind of knows what a nose is or a, a nose guard. That's the one that's lined up on center. And so that, okay, there now is your strength. And so everything off of that is built off of that. So are the linebackers more shaded towards the passing strength or are they more shaded towards the tight end? That might give you a tell on what they're trying to do coverage wise. And then obviously when you look at the coverage, you, do you have two safeties on the hash or do you have one safety in the middle of the field? Now, obviously there's different ways and you, you, there's teams that try and, and cloak what they're doing. But to me, that kind of gives you the, the main structure of what they're trying to do. Um, most of the time, if you have two receivers, you're going to find that they're trying to get three guys over top of them, especially in the Big 12, playing so much quarters. You're trying to get three guys over top of that. Um, and so that's kind of what you would look at pre-snap to kind of decide, okay, what is my – where are the numbers on either side of the center? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, and that's something too, because I know offenses, what they say for the casual fan is to, okay, find where the open space is, because that's where the offense is going to try to go. Um, and, and that's sort of the easy key to understand for me. I, I guess the follow-up question to that would be, okay, if I know the offense is trying to get to that space, what do defenses do to make sure that like a receiver can't get to that space? You know what I mean? Like, is it just kind of meet in the middle or. So post snap, the best thing to do is don't watch the ball. Mm -hmm. If you just want, if you're, if you're just like most of the casual fans are just going to watch the ball. They're just mm -hmm. going to see, okay, it's in the quarterback's hand. He either hands it off. Now I'm watching running back or quarterback's dropping back and I'm just kind of watching it and then it's going to flash and then I'm going to see it. But like you were saying with the space, what you want to watch is the safeties. So if you're more interested in, I want to know what they're doing with the space in the back end, are they moving a safety down into this open area or are they keeping them? Are they dropping a linebacker? You know, are they widening out a linebacker uh, to fill that void? You know, are they sinking a guy down versus trips so that they can get an extra man in the box and they're pushing that linebacker out so that he can have a, co a cover down or he can cover the number three receiver. These are all things that you can watch post-snap because what, what you're seeing now, the trend is, is show something on the pre-snap, show something different on the post-snap so that that quarterback has to kind of go through his checks and he has to analyze that as the bullets are firing mm -hmm. on him, you know. And so I think if you, it, you know, that would be the thing that I'm looking at. And you can give, there's certain tells, you know, if the safeties are on the hash, uh, you can kind of see if they're going to move to a, a, a single high coverage. One safety might be inside that hash and is cheating more towards the middle of the field where the other safety, they may be dropping him down somewhere. So he may be lower than the other safety. And so you can kind of see, um, I think Gundy calls it contours. You can see the contour of the coverage of, in, in different ways. You know, that's how they teach their quarterbacks. Look at the contours. So you can kind of see the different, the different ways that teams are lined up, you know, also, too, uh, this is probably really technical, but uh, DBs in some, uh, some certain playbooks have what are called divider rules. So where the receiver lines up will predicate whether they're inside or outside leverage. And so you can kind of tell, especially with the overhang. So that would be the first defender outside the box. 
usually guarding that slot receiver. You know, is he inside or is he outside? If he's outside, then he probably is going to have some – he's trying to funnel it to the safety. If he's inside, he's trying to wall everything out. He's probably playing some sort of quarters. Um, and so then if you can start really starting to look at where the safety's at, where's the overhang on the slot, and then what's the front structure, then now you can start really kind of seeing, okay, now I can start seeing these tri- the geometry of football, those triangles and squares that we were talking about at the beginning of the show. God, I want football to come back. <laughs> so bad. This is awesome. I'm like, gonna, yeah. Oh my man. gosh, this is great. Yeah. Um, okay, coach, we've, we've taken so much of your time and we're, we're so grateful for that. Oh, we good. have uh, two Twitter questions. So let's just answer those um, real quick. Um, so one of them uh, first comes from our friend Daniel Duncan, who asks, if you, had to, uh, if you had to choose one position as the most important to your defensive scheme, what player would that be? So I'm going to reframe that and just say, if you were doing, you know, a, a, a college fantasy draft where you were going to start a brand new defense out of nothing, what position are you looking at first to pick? What's kind of the anchor of the defense in your opinion? I think a boundary corner. Um, and I think what you're seeing now in the NFL, like with Gilmore uh, at, for New England and just how he just changes the game, he can, he can just cover one person and it's over and, yeah. and, and take their number one guy away. I think – but two, that's where you get your one-on-one matchups is into the boundary. Uh, you know, and what that does is that frees up that safety. So now you can do whatever you want with that safety. You can put them in a box. You can put them in the middle of the field. You can now, you can insert them. You can blitz them. You could do so many different things. You can tilt your coverage to the field so that now you've got extra support uh, for different guys. And I think what that does is, you know, I think the sack is sexy and uh, it gets a lot of credit, but at the end of the day, it's not necessarily a game changing um, stat that you might think. And so obviously, you know, a lot of people think, okay, I need that, I, you know, a DN or a DN rush guy might be the number one guy. But I, I think anymore now I would go with a boundary corner first and then maybe that DN second as the, my second pick. Cool. Um, okay. So I'm going to ask this other one from our friend, Adam Lunt. I don't know what this one means. So this is a twofold question. Explain okay. this to me and then answer this question. Okay. Uh, Adam says, IT2 gets all the love but do you see match C3 out of dime becoming more prevalent across the league? If this was a joke, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. Okay. Yeah, still- I have no idea. I, is, is Isaiah <laughs> Thomas IT2. I have okay. no idea what that he's, <laughs> he's talking about inverted Tampa two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which so, is the defense that Texas played a lot last year and got super burned on and why Todd Orlando's yeah, not Texas. And um, yeah. also uh, Grinch played a bunch of it at, um, well, he was doing like a robber deal, but it was kind of like an inverted Tampa two. I'll explain it, but uh, so inverted Tampa two, that's what that it uh, two, And then um, the match three would be what like Baylor ran a lot when they weren't running cover one, they were running a lot of that match three or what you see a lot of times in the sec with what people call it's, it's called Rip Liz. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that single, it's that middle of the field coverage, uh, you know, Venables is starting to run a bunch of it now too. Um, but the inverted Tampa, and I think, there's a there's a misconception about Iowa State and and really a lot of these teams that run the three state the safety look they think that they run the tight front in front of it and then it, it's kind of this inverted Tampa and that's not necessarily the case there's so many different nuances and and really you can do almost anything from it and so what they're talking about with the inverted Tampa is really where you have the corners kind of overlapping into the middle 
middle half, you have a, that middle safety sitting in the middle of the field. And then these, then you have the safety, these half safeties darting out to the, to the flats. And you kind of have, it's, it's a very dangerous defense, but it, it can be really good if teams are attacking the perimeter and they're not really watching the safety. Uh, if you have a good overlapping corner, uh, you know, but my thing is if you have one of those, you're probably better off just playing cover three. You know, if you have a guy like uh, the guy at um, Ohio State this past year, uh, my mind was oh, blank. Um, God, mine did too. But – Hold, yeah, well, uh, yeah, keep going. I, I, but anyway, I if you yeah. have corners like Ohio State and mm-hmm. that they can get that overlap and they can really lean on two and bend back in, you know, you're probably better off just playing cover three and letting that safety sit in there. And, and two, a lot of times it looks almost like you're like, wait a second, isn't this just cover three? Um, and then you have the uh, other Jeffrey Okuda. I just, yeah. Okuda. Yeah, I just yes. that too. Yeah, Okuda. yeah. Yeah. So then you have the other variation, which is what I call the double roll or the true Tampa two out of it, where the corners are going to be real hard in the flat and they're cutting those slots. And then you have the safeties in the deep half and then you have that middle safety in the middle. And I think that's not giving the teams justice when you just lump it all together. But I do think to answer his question, I do think cover three is going to make it a, a kind of a big return back in. And the reason why is I think you're going to start seeing more and more 12 and 21 personnel. Mm-hmm. And I think when you, and even 20 personnel, um, if you look at the big 10, those tight ends don't really go out for passes. And so if you look at the big 12, those tight ends go out for passes. So you have to cap what I call cap the vertical. You have to put a guy over top of them. So you're probably better off playing quarters anyway, because now I can put a guy on top of them. When I start moving into single coverage, now that guy that's supposed to cover him vertical, now he's down. So now I start getting into a little bit more trouble, but I do think that you're going to start seeing cover three, make more of a bigger comeback in, in the big 12. I know cover one and man have already started to make a bigger, bigger trend because if you have the guys to do it, it eliminates everything. You know, I think Saban is, has a famous quote that says cover one is the best coverage in ball. Well, yes, but you're also playing cat coverage. And is my cat as good as your cat? And if he's not, then we're going to lose anyway. So it doesn't matter. Um, and so I think for me to answer that question, I do think that cover three is going to make a comeback. And I think you're going to see more of it just because of the way the formations are going to be different. And you're going to now have more blocking players. Whereas, whereas before you're, you were playing 10 personnel, 11 personnel with that tight end going out. Uh, on passes and now everybody's kind of moving back into the box and now you can start kind of rotating those safeties down a little bit and make kind of I call it layering the coverage a little bit more okay yeah that that, is, I had no idea what that meant before you started talking but now yeah, I understand so, yeah, 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 it's totally there. yeah yeah that's, that's awesome yeah, that's good enough coach this is amazing thank you so much for your time I I learned a ton on this I think our viewers are going to really really um learn a lot uh where can people find you online um on, on Twitter and your, and your website, go ahead and just plug that. Also your, your most recent book uh, just came out pretty recently, correct? Yeah. Uh, it's been about two weeks. Yeah. So you can find me on matchquarters.com. Um, the best way to, if you don't want to just run through the whole blog, you can click the links page and it's, I, I nice put nice and neat almost a table of contents for a, a bunch of articles. Awesome. Um, and on there, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, YouTube uh, backslash uh, match quarters where I do a bunch of different clinics and I do some different things kind of, I just throw some things on there uh, if you're interested in that. And then on Twitter, you can find me at the underscore coach underscore a. And as you alluded to, I have four books. 
uh, cautious aggression is kind of my time at Baylor defending our brow system. I have hybrids, which I feel like if you're not necessarily wanting to know the X's and O's, but more of the history and kind of where the future of football is going, um, hybrids has kind of been the big book around a lot of the media guys and, and some people around kind of football, if non-coaching. Uh, and then I wrote a whole coverage, basically a doctorate, have my dissertation on <laughs> quarters coverage, which is match quarters. And then obviously my last book was uh, breaking down your offensive opponent. So if you're looking to get into film and breaking down offenses, that might be a, a, a one that you might be interested in. Awesome. Um, well, man, thanks so much for your time tonight. Really appreciated it. Uh, best of luck as, you know, workouts get started and you guys are looking to the fall and, and playing some actual football. Yes, I'm excited. I'm ready to get going for sure. Thanks a lot, Coach. I, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Well, Brent, uh, Coach A has left the building, and I have to say, holy cow, I know so little about football. I Yeah, that was a complete crash course. Um, I it, it, And it was so interesting because he – I didn't really know all of the terminology, but he explained it well enough to where that I got what he was saying at the same time. Like it was yes. the first time I was hearing some of these terms, but as soon as he could say it, I could picture what was happening and God, that was helpful. Yeah. Uh, just, just in, in, insanely smart. And uh, again, really gracious for this time. His like two year old was going to bed and he was like, hold on, I got to go put the kid to bed and then came back and was just very generous for this time. That was, that was really, really great. It was the um, most adorable interruption in the history of this podcast. Big, big fan. Big fan. Of yeah. This, sure. uh-huh. Cool. Um, all right. Well, Grant, that's an episode. We're at, you know, over an hour here. Uh, and so uh, we'll, we'll call it there. We're going to get back to team previews next week with Iowa State. We've got a really exciting guest for that. So make sure you are um, subscribed if you are not already. If you've listened this far, again, I can't imagine you're not subscribed. You know where to find me and Grant on Twitter. Also, hate to ask for this, but need to ask for this. Like, rate, review, all of that nonsense. Just put some stars uh, if you like the podcast, just so we can make sure anyone who wants to know about it does know about it. Um, other than that, we're looking forward to college football season this, this fall, and we will be, um, we'll be back next week.